Welcome to episode two of the Resistix podcast. My name is Callie, and I am a female engineer. I hope to change the workplace environment to be more supportive and inclusive of a diverse workforce. Life can be pretty funny. I finally worked up the courage and confidence to start my podcast, and I released the first episode, and I started an Instagram page. And then all of the things happened. The catalyst to all of these things was glancing at a job post in another state and submitting my resume without telling anyone. I had been exploring other jobs for the last year or so, but there was something special about this job. It felt like I could do it. I felt like it was exciting again. And I just figured, why not apply? It's been a little over three months since I hit the submit button on that application, and my husband and I have moved across the country, sold a house, bought a house, my husband had knee surgery, and I started a new job. So I apologize for the gigantic gap between my first and second episode, but hang with me because I have a really interesting three-part series coming up, starting with today's episode. I was at my last job, which was my first engineering job, for three years, four months, and one day. It is an important story to tell. Over the next three episodes of this podcast, I am going to describe what those days looked like, felt like, and what they did to my spirit and my future outlook. I'm going to call this three-part series The Startup Saga. The first episode will focus on the first year on the job. The second episode will focus on the bomb that broke me. And the third episode will focus on how I grew from that bomb. Hold on to your butts. Let's get this started. The first important story to tell of the startup saga is how I got the job. This is really good information for early career folks to hear. This was the first time I was applying for jobs in the engineering profession, and I had applied to the big companies in the traditional format. You know, you attach a PDF of your resume and then re-enter all of it into their automated system manually. You answer the governmental type questions on whether or not you're allowed to work in the U.S. and if you're a veteran. You get the confirmation email that says something like, hey, we'll contact you if you're a good fit for this role. And then you wait and wait. And maybe if you're lucky and the stars aligned and the computer algorithm matched your resume to the keywords in their posting, you get a call from a recruiter who asks you the same questions you answered online. And then you wait. And if you answer the salary question expectation right and the start dates right, maybe you get an interview. And then you spend four to five hours interviewing with various groups who ask you the same questions and you feel like a broken record and can't remember who you told what, and you get tours and probably a free meal. And then you wait and you hope for an offer. Well, I got a job offer following that method. And at the time, I thought that was a dream company to work for. It was the medical device company in the area that everyone aspired to work for. I couldn't believe I got a job there. But between all the waiting of this traditional application process, I had a friend tell me about a startup that might be interesting. I went on their website, and there were no job postings. Bummer. So I sent an email to their general information email address just saying, hey, here's my resume, and I think what you do is really cool. Two days later, I heard from the director of R&D saying they didn't have any openings, but I should come in just to chat and hear more about the product and company. So I drove up to this small brick building in a big office park. Actually, let me get the story right. I went to their old address first because my Maps app hadn't updated their address, and so I was late getting to the right building. I am never late. (laughs) 
So I was stressed and I still had little clue if I was in the right spot because there were no signs with the company name. I hesitantly walked up, rang the doorbell, and was let in and brought to a room. Fifta, I was in the right place. The office was empty, not of people, but of signs and decorations. There were no mission statements hung up on the walls, and all of the office furniture looked like it came from Goodwill. The director of R&D was in his jeans and a college football raggedy polo. And then the head of operations sat quietly in the chair next to me, just watching. We spent about 45 minutes or so discussing the product and my background. It was super informal, very relaxed. At the end of this short time, the head of operations silence ended, and he said, You know, I think we can find a place for you. Ah, he's British. Sorry for my terrible British accent. <laughs> but the next day, I was talking to the president of the company about salary and the role. Talk about a whirlwind. Three days for this versus six weeks for the giant company. After some good conversations with a mentor and my family, I turned down the big company dream job and took the small company gig. It was a half-time R&D role, half-time field support role. I 100% know to this day that it was the right decision. But those three years, four months, and one day taught me more than I ever thought possible about myself, the world, and what I want with my future. So there are two morals here. One, not all companies follow standard practice for hiring. If you're interested in a small company, there's no harm in reaching out. It may just work out. And two, I highly encourage you to look into small companies. They provide a very powerful experience. All right, now you know how I got the job. Let's talk about how it started. Day one was April 17th, 2014. I hadn't even graduated with my master's yet, but they wanted me to start as soon as possible. So I had agreed to work two days a week until I graduated. I walked in and rang the doorbell. I don't remember who let me in, but the head of operations happened to walk by and asked me what I was doing there. Oh, uh, you asked me to start today? So I got put in a room with the one tech support person and they scrounged up an old laptop and asked her to train me. She didn't know why I was there. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. No one did. But I learned as much as I could about the product. I finished my master's and started full-time the first week of May. At the end of my first week, I flew to Las Vegas to man the booth at a conference. Yeah, that's right. I was going to be explaining our product to customers. Keep in mind, I'm in the medical device world, so customers are doctors. And I had around 10 days of job experience. I was so excited. I loved that I got to just jump right in. I loved that they went full steam ahead. I was responsible for bringing booth material to the show and setting up the booth with two others the day before everyone else got there. All went okay. Whew. The next day, the president of the company and the head of R&D got to the show along with salespeople and other field support people. They all stopped by the booth, said it looked fine, and we headed to dinner. There were about 10 of us total, all men over the age of 45, and one guy around my age, and then me. And obviously they picked the fancy sushi restaurant for dinner. Feeling out of place is common for me, but holy cow, I don't know how to use chopsticks. I've never eaten real sushi. I don't really drink, and I definitely don't know how to talk to wealthy business guys. So we ate, and they poked fun at me for my lack of understanding sushi, and they drank a lot. 
I imagine the bill was at least $3,000, which honestly is more than I had in my savings account at that time. I was super full. They were pretty toasted. It was around midnight, and we were supposed to be at the show at 7 a.m. the next morning. But as we were walking out, they decide their next stop is the strip club. I honestly couldn't really even think at that point. They were laughing a lot and trying to convince me to come, but for as shy and unassuming as I am, I was definitely not going to do that. So I walked myself back to the hotel, sat in my room, wondering what in the world I had just gotten into. Now these may seem like small events, showing up to your first day and being asked why you're there, and being encouraged to go to a strip club with a bunch of older men at a conference, but those small moments really do have a big impact. My career started out feeling like I wasn't supposed to be there, like I didn't belong. And we all know how first impressions go. They are very hard to break. I would like to say that things settled down from there, but it was quite the opposite. I'm going to break the rest of the first year down into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start with the good. The first three months were full of travel. I flew and drove around the western half of the country training doctors on our device and fitting it to the patients. I did virtually no engineering, but those three months were critical. I learned our customer. I learned our product. By chatting with the parents and kids and doctors who used our device, I learned really quickly what we needed to engineer to make it what they wanted, what they needed. The company quickly realized that I was good at helping people, but not good at selling. So they hired a few dedicated salespeople, and I started to travel a bit less. That meant that I got to start to be part of the engineering team. And man, oh man, was I ready, especially with all of my newfound understanding of the customer. So I got a baby engineering project. I got to design a foam insert for the case that held our product. It kind of makes me giggle now, but I felt so proud to design something in CAD and talk to suppliers and create the work instructions for manufacturing. But I think it was that mini project that showed the company I really could do engineering too. I guess I should take a break to explain the structure of the company. The engineering team at that time had about four people. The boss, a CAD guy, a part-time engineering contractor, a part-time intern, and a part-time me. But by the end of the summer, that dwindled down to just the three of us, the boss, the CAD guy, and part-time me. There were about 20-some people in the company altogether. We had a manufacturing team of five, a sales team of five, one tech support, one customer service, one marketing, us three engineers, two quality people, and then the CEO, president, and the head of operations. The company had been in business for five years. It was a product that had been invented by a surgeon in Europe and brought to the U.S. by the president of the company. So it wasn't really early startup. It was startup in that they were still not profitable and were still trying to find a way to compete in the marketplace. But it was small and agile and a place where you could jump into anything. Honestly, one of the best parts about the job was the exposure I got to every aspect of business and product development. As my field time dwindled and my engineering time took over, I got to be involved in literally every function. I quickly became the main person doing software development, not coding, but the releasing of better software with a contract supplier. I was the main person making manufacturing improvements. I was the systems engineer, the verification engineer, and the documentation specialist. I worked with marketing on promoting the product. I worked with the field team to answer questions and to troubleshoot. I was part of everything. 
I remember at one point in time, I pointed out a missing link in the structure of our manufacturing team and their flow, and my boss actually asked if I wanted to lead the manufacturing team. The craziest part is that he meant it. In a small company like that, you really can take control of issues and fix them. I ultimately chose to steer my position into new product development with a focus on improving product performance. But I just loved that I had so many opportunities to jump in and have an impact. Again, this is why I highly encourage people to look at small companies. That experience helped me grow quickly, learn, and figure out what I like and don't like. Sounds pretty great, huh? The work was great, but now I'm going to get into a little bit of the bad. The bad was the leadership. The quote-unquote leadership team consisted of the president, a 50-year-old German man, the CEO, a 60-year-old German man, the head of operations, a 45-year-old British man, and my boss, a 45-year-old American man. It was a boys club through and through. The CEO had a really interesting philosophy of business leadership that focused on trust being the foundation of a successful business. Honestly, it was a really great idea, just very poorly implemented. The CEO was rarely in the office, and when he was, he was usually making some big announcement about structural changes or going in a new direction. It's hard to trust someone who only pitches surprises when you see them. And beyond that, he was a recently new CEO. About six months before I started, the old CEO got kicked out, this guy got brought in, and after a few months, he gathered everyone in a circle and said he had to make cuts. He went around the circle telling people one by one if they were fired or not. But then he had pizza for all of them after the ceremony. So, as you can imagine, trust was not there. The president was also not there very often. So most of the day-to-day -day leadership was done by my boss and the head of operations. Both of these men listened to people's wants and frustrations, but had a very hard time implementing any sort of structure or consistency. It's honestly a bit hard to describe the environment. I think the fundamental issue was a lack of a company goal. There was no bonding mission. Sales were not good. The product was just okay. We spent most of the money footing the elaborate travel bills of the leadership team, and we couldn't get a foot in the marketplace. So people just did what they felt was right and got upset when someone else didn't agree. And then they took that frustration to one of the two leadership team members, got a pat on the back, and then nothing changed. At that time, I remember thinking it was surprising that we couldn't sell the product better. But looking back now, it's so clear why the company was not very successful. With pretty bad leadership and a mediocre product, there just wasn't much hope. And now for the ugly. To go along with the CEO's trust philosophy, every so often he would hold these off-site meetings with various teams to increase their group trust. Shortly after I started, the engineering team did one with the manufacturing team, and I was not invited. I remember feeling kind of upset that I was left out of the engineering group. But from what I had heard, one guy walked out fuming from the event and didn't come in the next day. So I wasn't so sure about these off-site meetings, but I finally got my chance. Since I was still at the time part-time field support, part-time engineering, I got invited to a day with the tech support person, the customer service person, and the marketing person. We had all worked together organizing field support and had recently been struggling with a new hire. So the leadership team thought an off-site meeting was the perfect way to air our grievances, build some trust, and move on. Or so I imagine that was their thought. 
The day started off with one of my favorite things, the Myers-Briggs personality test. It was fun to see how we were all so different with such unique strengths that could be very useful on a team. If you've listened to my podcast before, you know how much I love diverse teams. But then they asked us to have an honest conversation about the issues we had with the new hire. Let me describe. She had come in with quite the attitude of superiority without the skills to back it up. We had very little true guidance or leadership at that point, and as you could imagine, her force was quite confusing. She acted like all of our bosses, but to be honest, she had no clue what to do and made a lot of pretty terrible mistakes. She was just nasty. She belittled us, she was conniving, and she was just a bad fit for the team. But at this offsite meeting, after we discussed our concerns and pitched our ideas to make it better, we were each told what was wrong with us. Now, constructive feedback from a leader that you trust is one thing, but as you can imagine from what I've already said, there wasn't that trust, and so these felt like personal attacks. I can vividly remember the look on the marketing woman's face when the head of operations told her she was weak. That definitely did not build trust. And it just got worse. There were so many tears and hurt feelings. We ended the day exhausted and confused. There were no conclusions. There were no next steps. We were just supposed to go into the office the next day with a renewed sense of trust. This sort of strange environment permeated the office. There was absolutely no trust. But as is normal for human nature, people wanted so badly to have approval and to feel like they mattered. But the only way people got any attention in the organization was by having a fit or a meltdown. People were never given attention for great work. So there was some daily fire to put out that was more focused on someone's opinion rather than objective evidence. There was no leadership to provide consistent guidance. It was very messy and a very hard workplace for me. I naturally am very in tune with how people feel and get very overwhelmed by negative environments. This was the worst part of the job. The work was incredible. The environment was ugly. That ties directly to the statistics I mentioned in episode one. Most women leave the field of engineering due to the environment, not the work. So that was year one. Looking back, I was so caught up in it all, I couldn't even analyze what was happening. That year had an incredible impact on my work. I learned more than I ever thought possible and grew well beyond my years of experience. But it had a really negative impact on my spirit. Most days I came home sad and exhausted and frustrated. It was not a sustainable environment. And because of that, it was not a sustainable business. Tune in next time for part two of the startup saga, where I dive into the bomb that broke me and where the company went next. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Resistix. If you like what you heard, please share with your friends and please rate my podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And remember, together, we can change this. Bye.